Welcome to the Cucumber Podcast. I'm Matt Wynn and this week we're speaking to Stefan Hofer about domain storytelling. I'm also joined by my Cucumber co-founder, Dr. Sally-Ann Freudenberg. A few weeks ago, someone on our trainers channel in Slack, Ryan Marsh, I think it was, pinged a link to the domain storytelling website and I was intrigued. I'd never heard of it before and it seems like something really interesting and relevant to our listeners. The website says to contact Stefan if you need more info. So I tweeted him and asked him if he'd like to have a conversation with us on the podcast. And here we are. So, willkommen, Stefan. Thank you very much. Hi. So, here I am. So, where are you speaking to us from? I'm from Hamburg, Germany. Um, I've been living and working in Hamburg for almost 14 years now. And I work at a place called Workplace Solutions. We build business software. Uh, we love DDD, domain-driven design. Um, and we also provide uh, training and consulting to our clients. And what I do there is, well, in the last couple of years, it, it kind of shifted a little bit from software development and architecture uh, to a focus on requirements and figuring out uh, what people want from a piece of software that we should build for them. Right. Yes. And that's a puzzle that we also uh, wrestle with on a regular basis. So I love that uh, quote from Fred Brooks from the Mythical Man Month. The hardest part of designing a software system is deciding precisely what to build. Yes. Uh, usually it's not a, a good idea to ask the people who want the new software, um, what do you want? They can tell you all sorts of things that they want, but they're probably not the same things that they're going to need. So better to say, what do you do? Uh, yeah, um, as a developer, I think it's it's crucial to have a good understanding of how people work today, um, mm. what systems they use, um, what objects they work with, what information they share, how they work together, how they cooperate, um, because um, only then you can understand what problems uh, are they fighting with and uh, what could a possible solution look like. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And, and how did you... So how did you discover this amazing technique then, this domain storytelling? How did it come about? Well, I didn't discover anything, uh, to be completely honest. Um, domain storytelling has uh, almost 20 year history, um, not under that name. So um, my contributions are not that big, actually. I gave it its name like two years ago, and uh, now I tour the world and uh, try to show how people, what they can do with it. Um, but it all dates back to the University of Hamburg. And there was a small group of people that um, came up with it. And um, actually, there's, there's a whole number of people now who contributed. Um, and over the years, it became, um, I would say, um, it's, some, it's something between business process modeling language and enterprise modeling. And so a few years ago, we decided let's let's strip down all the things that are not core to to um, to the method and give it a new and catchy name. And that's now domain storytelling. And a really nice website too. The website's very uh, helpful to give a good sort of high level, but also plenty of depth behind it. Cool. Introduction to the subject. I, I I found it very helpful. So I think we've talked about this a little bit, but before we get into the details, like what are, who's this for? Like what are the what are the benefits of this technique, and who's who who should be listening right now, and and why would they want to want to keep listening? 
Uh, well, the nice thing is that it's something for the business people and the software people and everyone in between. So from, from product owners, business analysts um, to testers. So I think everyone who is somehow involved in, um, in developing new software um, is, should be interested in, in this technique. Yeah, um, so I, I'm looking on your website at this book uh, by Peter uh, Hrushka. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I googled for the book, and it seems that it's only been written in German. Yeah. So the title is uh, "Business Analysis und Requirements Engineering." So those are those are two <laughs> phrases that are used in business German, I guess. Yes. In in the good. English, yeah. business yeah. German is basically English. Right, <laughs> except when you say "und." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I love this quote. Three good examples are better than a bad abstraction. Yeah, I think the quote is actually uh, a bit shortened, um, but but that's the idea. Yeah. So, um, learning from examples, um, having useful scenarios as a as a like common baseline that you just, that you start exploring the domain from. Um, that's what domain storytelling is all about. Yeah. I think domain storytelling is best described as a workshop format that helps people to have a conversation about their domain. So the idea is that domain experts tell stories that explain how people and or software work systems work together. So usually we have a moderator in place who kind of guides the conversation. He or she asks typically who does what with what and why. So um, we can really see what, um, what activities uh, the people do, what information they work with, what objects, things like documents or spreadsheets or what systems they use and why they do it and how they cooperate, how information is exchanged. And that knowledge is helpful for a number of reasons, but typically we use it um, if you want to develop software and have to understand um, how things are today, what the problems are, and um, what will change once introduced in your software. So that's the idea. Have a conversation about your domain and what's going on there, and we use stories, so scenarios or examples, um, as a reference. So story can mean a lot of different things for a lot, to, a, to a lot of different people, I guess. Yes. When you when you say story, what do you mean? Can you give? <laughs> we are talking about examples. Can you give me an example <laughs> of a story? Okay. So when I mean story, I mean um, something that has no ifs or dents or no gateways or no uh, or no uh, switch cases. So. Um, what I typically experience when I ask people, tell me something about your domain, you start with all the things that could possibly happen. So instead, a domain story is about one actual thing that happens. So um, an example, well, on my webpage, I use the cinema example a lot. So maybe let's, let's stick with that. Um, so... Um, there are a number of ways, typically, that you can make a reservation um, at a cinema. So one way would be uh, you make a reservation online. So that could be a story. A customer makes a reservation online. During the course of the story, you might uh, realize that, okay, um, 
have a proper scenario, you need to make more assumptions. So let's look at the happy part first. Everything works fine. So there are enough seats available. The show is not sold out. Um, payment works fine. So that would be uh, one um, concrete example for a happy path scenario. And um, usually we look at two, three, four um, stories for one business process. So in this reservation example, maybe it would also be clever to look at um, the typical error case. So something that goes wrong all the time or something that goes wrong not that often, but would have uh, very severe consequences. So these are typical examples that we want to learn from. Mm -hmm. And is there a specific sort of format that you capture these stories in? Do you just kind of, people tell you the narrative and you just write it all down? Or mm -hmm. are there some templates available for people to use? How, how do you capture the story? Um, the idea is that the moderator captures the story using a pictographical language. And it's important that he or she does it in a way that everyone can, can see what's going on, how the story evolves. So you can use um, a whiteboard or maybe even a flip chart, or you can use um, software modeling tools for that purpose. Um, so it's important that everyone can see the story and say, oh, no, that's, that's not a, what I meant. You know, that error is wrong or... Um, we, we put sequence into the story by labeling the actions, so by numbering them, sorry. Um, so people can say, but for me, it's different. I, I do step four before step three. So they have something to point at or they have something to give, give reverence to um, so that mis misunderstandings uh, um, become obvious. But you're talking about this. So it's a kind of diagram that we might draw in uh, software modeling about. Let's see, it's 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 kind of like a sequence diagram although although yeah. um a different shape um mm. but the the objects in the diagram and the arrows that, the, that are in the diagram are um real world things from the user's yes. domain the problem domain yeah. not objects in software or or they might be if they're already using some software but the mm. point is to to be understanding the way their current real world process works rather than it's, trying, it's not trying to do software design yet. No, it's not about software design yet. Um, but still, um, if you're using a software development approach like domain-driven design, um, it's rather easy to make that transformation from the, the things that people use in the business process into uh, building blocks that we need to build as software developers in, in our software. But, um, to give you an example for um, what what kind of um, uh, what kind of symbols we use or how this um, this captured story would look like, so we distinguish between two kinds of symbols. So we have actors. Actors are typically users, so um, a single person or a group of people but also software systems. If a system does something on its own, like send an email, um, calculate stuff, then it's also an actor. And then we have the passive uh, things. Those are the, the work objects. So the, for example, documents or um, uh, phone calls, emails, all that stuff. And we use icons to show um, how the things are represented or what medium um, we, we're dealing with. And one of the interesting aspects is 
let's stick with that uh, cinema reservation um, process. So let's say you make a reservation on the phone. So you call the cinema, uh, make a reservation. So I would model that with a little phone uh, icon, this phone call. And the reservation would have this um, phone symbol. The next step, maybe you get an email with your reservation confirmation from the cinema. So the next step, we again have this reservation, but now it's not a phone call. Now it's an email icon. And in the third step, you print your reservation on a piece of paper. So then I have a document symbol. So the same thing, the same concept, the same reservation. It's, it's always the same through the whole story, but depending on where you are in the process, it's either a phone call or an email or a piece of paper. And that's quite interesting to visualize, especially if you want um, to digitalize um, um, physical things in, in software. Mm. And I'm looking at, um, <clears throat> I'm, uh, it's a bit difficult on the podcast because I really want to share this with people as I'm looking at it. But I'm looking at the page on your website that has the, the those very pictures on. And it's kind of like got a, the domain story diagram as feeding into or updating a use case diagram, yeah. which would be something that I, I guess like a lot or some people listening wouldn't be unfamiliar with um, the use case diagram. So it's interesting this the way that the, the domain story is being used to kind of enrich and clarify and uh, the use case diagram. The use case diagrams are one way to um, get an overview of what what yeah, use cases or tasks there are. So in this diagram that you refer to, there's one use case ticket reservation. And now I already mentioned like two domain stories for that ticket reservation use case. One was ticket reservation at a box office and the other one was a ticket reservation um, by a phone. So that's the way we can connect like use cases as an overview and domain stories for concrete examples how this works. And not, not everything has to be captured as a domain story. So um, if things are very similar, um, then I wouldn't draw a new domain story for it. So, um, you know, in a, when I start a workshop, um, people sometimes say, ah, but what if, I don't know, what if it's a 3D movie? So, okay, then let's focus first. Let's say it's a simple case. It's not a 3D movie. Um, let's do that. And then when we finish the story, I ask him, okay, before you said um, the movie could be a 3D movie, what, how would the reservation look differently uh, if it's a 3D movie? Well, actually, that's not much different. Just in step three, um, we would tell the customer it's a bit more expensive because it's in 3D, something like that. So things that at first seem like if there were huge differences, they boil down to something very small and minor. So um, it's quite interesting to see that um, once you understand the, a few basic principles, uh, how the process looks like, all those minor details, well, you can pretty much imagine how they, um, how they work. Yeah. Is, so timing-wise, is this something that you do sort of early on in the life of a product to explore and give you some context for the for the work, and then you do it less sort of further into the product's life, or mm -hmm. um, is it a continuous process and and a tool that you'd be using regularly? And sort of where does it where does it sit in your kind of 
your flow of, of delivery if you like like what how? well so can you use this, use it for products or for projects so that mm. uh, works in both worlds product development or or a project development and um, it depends a little bit on on what you want so i can give you an example for my current project that i'm working on um, something for for federal government in germany and we started early on with a couple of domain stories to understand um, how the people work and that three four processes not much more and that knowledge helped us during the first two months of development okay then we reached a stage where i said okay but now we need to go into more details so uh, we met with our with our key users and asked them more details and and we asked them to more more ask them to tell more detailed stories and we did that a third time another three months or so later so every time we noticed okay we we need either more detail or we are moving into an area that we haven't really explored that much and don't know exactly how they work or how they are supposed to work, then we have another one of those workshops. So it's really a, it's usually good in the beginning, but when we realize that um, we are lacking some information and need more exploration, then we had a couple of workshops. Mm. Yeah. And I'm assuming it sounds as if once you've got that, that kind of, once you've got it as an item in your mm. in your toolkit, that actually you could pull it out at many points. So you might be doing, uh, you might be refining a, a user story to just you know understand enough about on it to actually start developing it. And again, you, I'm assuming it sounds like something you could pull out of the toolbox then too. Uh, it's actually um, well, I, I guess that's something that I will be trying to talk about conferences next year, um, how this toolbox looks, li looks like and how it connects to other methods and tools. Um, so it works really well with um, use cases or use case diagrams, as we mentioned before. Um, it works well with user stories. So typically, when I look at a domain story, I can say, okay, this activity that's like one sentence in the story, that sounds like one or two uh, user stories to me. So we take that as a um, starting point, and then later, when it's time to develop that story, we add more detail to it that is not captured in the diagram. It also works well with techniques like event storming, um, something that is very popular in the um, in the domain-driven design world. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. How, how do you see the two of them relating to each other? Because I, I did a workshop with uh, Alberto Bandolini, is that how we say his name? Yeah, Bandolini, yeah. Yeah, a couple of years ago. And the way he taught it in that particular instance, it was very exploratory, very high level, very sort of like I'm brand new to somebody's domain and I just want to figure out what the hell mm. their, their process is. Um, but I can I can see and I have used event storming at much, much lower levels of detail as well, like to, for the specifics of one particular little micro aspect of assistance behavior. Mm. Um, so like, how would you see the two techniques is, is it is it event storming something you do after you've got a domain story, maybe to kind of drill into the details ready for impl implementation? Because it's close to the solution domain, isn't it, in a way, event storming? Although it's still very problem well, domain focused. You can use um, both techniques um, in the problem domain and in the solution domain. And you yeah. can use both techniques on a high level or on a low level. So that gives you a lot of ways how to combine it. And... Um, 
there are different opinions uh, out there how to uh, how to use it and combine it. And that's one of the nice things when you know once the idea is out there, people start doing their own thing with it. Yeah. And I can give you one example that has worked for me in a couple of uh, occasions. Um, that was to start with a big picture event storming. That means you have the flow of the events from left to right, um, so a flow of time, and then the sequence of events, what happens in the domain or what has happened. And usually uh, in such a flow, you come across segments of the flow where I say, okay, um, it seems that a lot of people kind of work together. So um, you have events like from, um, let's say, someone from the customer's perspective, but also from the um, provider's perspective. So you could say ticket bought or ticket sold. Yes. It's it's like two sides of the same uh, metal. So when you um, encounter things like that, you can say, well, I wonder how that cooperation between those actors would look like. And then for that small section of the the stream of uh, events, um, you can uh, have a little domain storytelling workshop and that gives you a whole new perspective on, on how things work because it's not the um, domain stories don't visualize the flow of time so much. It's more about the actors, the people who do things. So we shift focus and then you have a new perspective and uh, hopefully new insights into that aspect of the domain. So that's um, how I combine it. And I interrupted you. Were you going to tell, talk about some other techniques and tools that it relates to as well after, after event storming? So I think uh, I already mentioned three. So there was event storming. There was uh, uh, use case diagrams. Um, there was user stories. Some people prefer written use cases over user stories. I'm not sure uh, if you're familiar with that, but a, a written use case usually has a main scenario and then some alternatives or variations of that. And um, I think domain storytelling is a good way to come up with that main scenario and then later um, dive into the details. So that's also something that um, we've done if people are very fond of um, written uh, use cases. And I'm more and more exploring how things like example mapping fit into this toolbox. Um, That's probably something for the next podcast. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i was wondering i was wondering if you'd even heard of uh, of example mapping yeah I, yeah I always think about that as something that comes quite late on like almost just before you want to start writing acceptance tests yeah. really to make sure that you've thought through all of the possibilities and and really often as well it's almost like protecting the team from gobbling up a story a piece of work that's too big that there's too much too much uncertainty yeah. in it still and i was wondering that as well like how do you see this relating to to test automation and TDD mm-hmm. um, or, or even BDD, like do you see the the domain storytelling as being something that, that has a clear relationship between what tests you're going to write for the for the code as well? Like can you see that that mapping or is, it, is there too many stages in between? Um, there's probably one or two stages in between because mm. um, what I wouldn't recommend to use domain storytelling for is to, capture the details of the interaction between a system and the user. Mm-hmm. Well, you can use it that low level, but usually it's, that's not what I do or what I would recommend. Maybe you have an opinion about it already. 
how how you see those things would go together. That'd be interesting for me. No, I don't. I don't have an opinion. Okay. It looked to me like something that I would need to use quite early on to give mm -hmm. me context, and then I'd kind of work my way, way in towards a solution. And um, it wouldn't have enough detail for me to be confident about all of the acceptance tests I'd need to write, but it might give me a starting point and um you know and then i could work inwards from there yeah. but yeah without using it in 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 earnest i didn't, wouldn't really feel um mm. confident to comment um so i just wondered if you if you had a thought about that and what about, what about so um when you were talking about uh use cases but but in fact also before that when you were talking about using them in general you kind of said a story's like a linear story there's no branches there's no ifs there's no yeah. you know yeah. Yeah. um so and the, when you get on to talking about that other stuff, you maybe create another story or you modify the one. And so where do you where do you capture that? Where do you capture the relationship between kind of this is the linear story and here are all the other ways that it could fork off? Yeah. Um, so during the workshop, I capture all these, these uh, possible variations, um, well, in, in written notes. So if I do, um, if I capture the, the domain story on a whiteboard, I would reserve a little space uh, on the side of the whiteboard and label that space variations. And then every time someone says, but this could happen or this could happen, I say, okay, it's interesting. I put it here in my notes. It doesn't get lost. Um, but now please let's focus on, on this one story that we agreed on um, that we want to, to learn. Um, because otherwise... Um, you can discuss things for hours and hours yeah. and leave the room and you have talked about all the things that could happen but never actually learned how a typical let's say reservation process in a cinema looks like yeah so yeah. um this this whole idea of telling stories helps people to focus on one specific case and once you've understood one two three of the basic cases you can have a look at the variations and say okay this one here, this one looks like it would change the whole process. And if it's that sort of, of variation, then I would say, okay, let's make another domain story for that. But most of the of the um, possible deviations are usually quite quite small, like something is optional, or two or three steps are maybe in a different order, or maybe there's an additional step necessary, something like that. So that I wouldn't capture in a new domain story. That sounds like a super effective way to kind of park those things as well to stay focused, definitely. Yes. Nice. And that's actually, this list is also something where I think example mapping kind of starts to um, come in. So um, talking about these possible things that could happen, um, usually you, you come up with some examples in the past that well, have already happened and that would make good examples for for example, mapping, and then derive some rules from that, maybe. Yeah, and and going back to example mapping and, and this idea of like going off on tangents. What one of the things that a lot of people have fed back to me is like the most useful thing about example mapping is appreciating the collection of questions as a valuable output of the conversation. So, like turning your unknown unknowns into known unknowns and leaving it at that, and not trying to answer all of those questions during the meeting. And that mm -hmm. same idea of like having a corner of your whiteboard where you write down all of the things that you're not going to talk about today helps you to have a focused conversation, right? Rather than yes, yes, yes. just disappearing off on on uh, rabbit holes. Yeah. 
but still later you can like systematically check um, if your process would still look the same if you had this example or that right. example. Like yeah, okay, play now them through. We have 3D movies. We have I don't know movies with um, invited guests, for example, or what's what if the show is sold out or there are no seats next to each other left and all those things that could possibly happen. Um, now you can actually systematically look at them and say, oh, in this case, um, actually the story would look totally different and uh, we have really thought about it. And then I've already discovered like uh, a gap in what you were supposed to build as software and um, what you actually need to build. Do, um, do, do you see people get this wrong? Like, I mean, have you have you got it wrong in the past? You said you've been doing it for twenty years. So, have you, have you got some like embarrassing stories that you don't really want to have to tell? But now I've asked you the question, you have to tell us about times sure. when it, I'm thinking about yeah. you know what are the mistakes that people who are new to this could avoid? Yeah. Like, um, um, there are a couple of things. Well, um, I haven't been doing it for twenty years, um, only for fourteen, but it's <laughs> okay. Actually. Um, okay, so one thing that uh, a common misunderstanding, especially if I teach it to developers, is um, they automatically start to think in this request-response kind of way of thinking. So if I ask them to model something like um, buy a cinema ticket online, okay, there's a, there's a website, uh, cinema website, and you can buy tickets online, and you do something like you click a button and then the web server generates some HTML. And Solution that's, domain that's not the way you can do that, but <laughs> that's not the way what it was supposed to do. Instead of saying, okay, I picked the seats, I picked the time, and the, or I picked the, the movie, and the system shows me available seats, and then I pick the seats, and um, I make the payment and stuff. So I keep it on a business level, but... A lot of developers want to go on to this very fine-grained uh, test-response kind of interaction. So that's a, a, something I see commonly. Um, a mistake that I have to remind myself uh, of that um, I don't forget um, asking this is um, purpose. So it's one thing to ask people okay, what do you do next? Where do you get this information from? But it's another thing to ask them, why do you do that? So sometimes this is obvious why people do things, but um, sometimes it's not obvious and then it's it's uh, important to stay curious and don't just accept that things work the way that people tell you they work. You have to ask yourself, okay, why, why are the steps in these orders or why do you look up that information? Um, because if you don't ask yourself why they work uh, in, in that particular way, um, you might have the problem of um, um, implementing the same process in the new software um, just because that's how it was done in the old software. So um, trying to figure out why things are the way that they are, that's also an important aspect. Always. Yeah. And you can, Asking why we 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 can't do it often enough, can we? Yeah. And you can uncover all sorts of of well, sometimes funny, but sometimes almost like tragic things 
that um, people suddenly realize that information that they spend a lot of time uh, in, in compiling that information and providing it for someone because they think it's very important. And then actually you get the people from this information supplying department and the people from the information, information consuming department together in a room and tell them a story of how they work together. And then you realize that, okay, actually, they don't care about the information that we provide for them. Um, or oh, it's not that important. Uh, that's, um, yeah, so it can get quite, uh, sometimes, sometimes it can get a little bit emotional. Um, so uh, there were occasions where I didn't feel like a software developer or a moderator of such a workshop, but more like a therapist. <laughs> so those are the side effects that may occur. This is this is fascinating. Now, I I often say that to people when I describe our job, like when we when we're going and doing um, BDD training and coaching on site. You know, it's ultimately it's all about trying to get more meaningful collaboration happening between business and tech people who often aren't very good at communicating, speak different languages, and yeah, yeah it can quite often end up being like what you're actually the, the problems are human problems are to do with the way people are relating to each other and um it does turn into a bit of family therapy work so it's it's it's, uh, it's interesting and rewarding at times i i was um reminded i'm going to just jump us onto a tangent just briefly because you you were asking me about uh what did i think about automated testing and, and i had this little like connection happened in my brain about something i found out um, about a long time ago so i'm i'm going to just put you on the spot and ask you if you've ever heard of it i'm, I'm not imagining you will there's a thing that um ward cunningham worked on when he was working on the eclipse project so you know the the ide um and they were making test automation uh for the eclipse project and they developed this thing called swim have you ever seen it swim I'm going to send you a link to it. No, so it's like this diagramming thing that they Please. built where you could sort of draw the the mm. process that you that you wanted. And I guess this is still solution domain, you kind of like what you're saying, but sort of draw the process that somebody would go through. Um, I forget, was it actually for the IDE or was it about like um, workflow around the project itself? I can't remember. Um, but they essentially it was a visual tool for drawing a process which could mm -hmm. then also be be tested so they would kind of create automated tests for each stage of the of the flow that they drawn so as first it was a design tool and then it also became a testing tool because you could you could check each of these stages and then they ended up with these artifacts where you could kind of visually see yeah you know this whole process is working or this this process is broken here at this stage and you could see the process and you could see the mm -hmm. the testing of it fascinating um idea and i'll i'll send you the link afterwards and put the note, the thing in the show notes so one thing that i would like to hear from you is um so the cucumber team we're a remote team and obviously we're probably not super common because we're actually dispersed we're all in completely different locations rather than some of us yeah. be offshore and some of us be onshore but how tried doing this with remote teams or distributed teams and what what's worked um you know what tips would you have if somebody wanted to try it in a distributed way actually uh, i will try it very soon uh there's a case coming up where i have to do it that way um there are always i think drawbacks when um especially when you want to do it with people you don't really that you're not familiar with yet 
Um, then getting together in one room is, I think, better than doing it remotely because um, it's hard to see, you know, the body language of the people. If I if I facilitate such a workshop and I see someone uh, sitting there like that, and now you can see it because there's, uh, we also have a um, video connection here, but the, the listeners can see it. Um, so I have more more feedback from the people when I actually when I'm in the same room with them. Um, so I know that okay, that person I need to engage a little bit more. Maybe he or she is afraid of something, not used to um, communicating ideas uh, openly. Mm. So that's always something that's easier when you're in the same room. When you are a team of people that has been working together for some some while, um, I think it can also work remotely. But it's as I said, it's crucial that um, um, the way you capture the story, whatever tool you use, um, is is visible for everyone. Yeah. So you have this immediate feedback. So oh no, that's what that, that's not what I meant. And it's also important that um, it's about the the people who are in the workshop. Um, in the end, you will have the picture of the story, yes, but I see it more as, um, I don't see it as documentation. I see it more as an aid to memory for those who were present. And if you show the picture to, some, to someone who wasn't present at, a, at your workshop, then they might have a hard time understanding it. So what I do then is that I retell the story. Yeah. And always, if you retell it, things come up from your memory that um, are not in the picture, but you know you spoke about it. So what would you typically do next with a, 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 a one of these diagrams? What, what do you do? Because it's, it's stuck on the whiteboard of your meeting room. You need to use that whiteboard for something else. Yeah. What's the next step? Well, if it's on a whiteboard, I always take a picture. If I use a digital tool, um, mm-hmm. um, then, well, you have a digital copy, of course. Um, but... I see it as the start of conversation and not a, as the end of the conversation. So one next step would be, um, for example, to write very, very coarse-grained um, requirements or user stories. So I need to do this, I need to do that, or the software should be able to do this, uh, should uh, be able to do that. And um, from that, yeah. you dive into more, more details. Where else do you think uh, domain storytelling might go next? You know, in terms of you, you said it could it could interface with so many things. What's your what's your biggest next focus for it? Right now, it's it's been it's being adopted in the domain driven design community, um, and that's that's good because people there are used to things like event storming and uh, scenario whirlpool from from Eric Evans. Um, so collaborative modeling is something that the, the, the way different design people are familiar with and um, are open for. Um, but I think that even though it's called domain-driven design, it's it's driven by software developers. So I would like to engage more people from the business side, like product owners, product managers. Um, that would be really interesting um, if if people from from with that roles or that positions picked it up there are some already yes um, but I think that would be really beneficial 
Um, so so I, I guess it's nearly time, but before we finish off, could you just kind of suggest, what, what would you recommend to somebody who wants to get started with domain storytelling? What would be the first kind of things that they could do? Well, I guess first would be to check out the domainstorytelling.org website. Then the next thing you should do is try it. And if you try it, I usually recommend um, just try it on your own as a kind of thinking tool. Take a piece of paper, take a pen, think about a process that you're familiar with. If you don't think you know anything about any domain, well, if you're a software developer, you know a software development process like, like Scrum, how does your how does a sprint look like? How does that work? Something like that, that you're familiar with, just to get a feeling for the way the story is captured, how it's structured, how, how it flows. Um, then take someone, a trusted colleague that you can like bounce ideas off one another and say, okay, this thing that, you know, we always have trouble with. Um, maybe we can do this together here with this new technique that, that I'm trying out. So have like a, just um, maybe a second person to exercise this communication or a conversation technique. So the questions uh, you should ask and how you capture the story that someone tells you on a whiteboard or on a tool or whatever. And if that works fine, well, then start to add more people to this kind of workshops. Because um, then it gets really interesting um, to align the views and have them agree on a story and um, all the, the possible tensions that we talked before that could come up. So that would be the first step. So try it on your own, get someone that you can easily communicate with, and then, um, yeah, try it with them. And there's also a, a Slack channel. Um, um, it's linked on the domainstorytelling.org website, so I don't need to uh, spell lengthy URLs. Um, yeah, so we have a, a Slack channel in within the DDD Slack um, where you can ask questions and, and get feedback. And, oh, of course, um, there will be a book on domain storytelling. Very um, good. I'm not sure when, <laughs> but a colleague of mine, Henning Schwentner, he's also very active in the DDD community. Um, we will write a book okay. together. And you'll make it available in English too, right? So we can, so we can read. Yes, yes, it will be in English. Yeah, Right. Well, we should call time on this. Thanks, um, thanks so much, Stefan. Dein English war fantastisch. I'm always in awe of people who can conduct um, conversations in a in a second language. So uh, thank you very much. Um, I'm sure it was much easier for most of our listeners to understand because we conducted it in in English and not in German. So thank you. Um, yeah, thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks, Sal, for for all your questions. And remember, out there, if you enjoyed this episode, please comment and subscribe on iTunes and share it all over the place um, so more people can benefit from, from all the lovely stuff we talk about on this. Um, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>